You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's going on, everybody? This is Dewey, your host of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Adobe Radio. We are coming to you another week, another week down, another week to go. Uh, We'll be with you every Sunday night at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, uh, right here on Adobe Radio. Uh, We're also on JabberjawMedia.com, and you can always find the show on iTunes after it airs on Adobe on Sundays. So we do post the show every Sunday night uh, after the show airs on Adobe. And you can also go to my website uh, for Adobe as well and stream the shows. All the episodes are on there. Um, and those are available to you all the time. So we're glad to have you back with us. We're glad to have uh, everyone back every week. Uh, but every week gets better and better and, and bigger and bigger, which has been really fascinating and, and uh, a lot of fun for me seeing the show grow. So uh, I've been trying to get this guest on the show for uh, a few months now. Um, With travel and everything, it was hard to connect. Uh, But once we did, I was really glad with what came out. And and, uh, I know a lot of you guys are excited to hear what she has to say. Um, For those of you listening on Adobe um, and on iTunes or or 100 years from now, for that matter, uh, my guest this week is Katja Kassen. Uh, She is a German-born ex-porn star. Um, she still does some things on the side. She does cam shows and uh, a, a new thing called uh, Sext Panther. Um, I know she does that uh, week to week for more customized things, one-on-one kind of texting sessions, uh, ask questions. I know there's some cam stuff involved there. Anyways, but she has moved from the porn industry into something really cool. She's really uh, going at her master's right now to start doing social work, working with sex workers, uh, working with uh, some children, uh, working with adults, um, you know, working through these situations from sex trafficking to prostitution, uh, sexual abuse. Um, She's a feminist and uh, she has some really cool perspectives on being a feminist in the porn industry, uh, which I went at from a completely different point of view. Uh, thinking kind of where does this all tie together Um, and Katja had a really eye-opening point of view about you know the reality that um, 
you know, a lot of times being submissive, um, being degraded, uh, can be a turn on for a lot of people. Um, you know, and thinking about that, uh, made a lot of sense. And it was a whole other point of view that I didn't even think about preparing for the interview. Um, so, you know, I learned something this week. Absolutely. Um, and we're really glad to have her on the show and, and she is super honest. Uh, she goes through kind of her life growing up in Germany before the wall fell on the communist side. And that was really cool to hear, you know, the story of growing up and, and eating potatoes every day and not questioning that. Um, I believe she said she was 10 when the wall came down. Um, and I was actually over in Germany, uh, touring with Portugal, the man, and we played in Berlin. I forget the name of the club. I was going to look it up before this show, but, uh, the club is right on this river that goes through the middle of town over in Berlin, Germany. And we were doing sound check and I came out and was looking at all the graffiti and taking pictures of all that and had a seat. It, what I thought was just a, um, like a rock formation or, you know, it, it was really, really, uh, one of those things where you don't, your eyes don't acclimate to it right away. So like you're looking at a, at the ground and you're not looking for worms, but once you start looking for worms, your eyes acclimate and you see them everywhere. Um, I do that with my kids sometimes anyway, um, looking at that, you know, a little bit of rubble, I had sat down and tried to make a phone call to my dad because uh, of the time difference. So, you know, middle of the day in Germany, I was trying to get a hold of him over in, in Seattle to let him know how things were going. And, you know, made my phone call. Everything's good. Cars driving by, just kind of enjoying the afternoon over in Berlin. Uh, my first time there. And, and, you know, after the show, we're driving away and our, our European tour manager, Alex, I had asked him, you know, is there anything left of the Berlin Wall? And he said, yeah, we're right there as we're pulling out of the club. And that's exactly where I was sitting. I was sitting on rubble from the Berlin Wall when it fell down. And that was so crazy to think about after the fact. You know, all the history and the the pain and the victory. And, I mean, just so much emotion is in these objects, I feel. And it was really cool for me to have that story to tell, you know, that I sat down on a piece of the Berlin wall to call my dad just to see how things were going. And, uh, we talk about that a little bit in the interview as kind of a, uh, a thing in common. She's from Berlin. So, um, Katya is doing some really amazing things. As I said before, uh, really glad to have her on the show. Uh, I know she's never really done a podcast before, but she was great, uh, a great guest. And I think we're going to do a part two. Uh, we talked about it. Um, I forgot to ask her about, the truck attacks in Berlin at that Christmas market. She was actually home in Berlin when that happened in, and she was in town. Um, and that's partially why we weren't able to connect, uh, earlier is because she was over in Germany. And, uh, I really want to talk to her about that and get some perspective there because she is extremely intelligent. And, uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview. So without further ado, uh, let's get into my episode with Katja Kassen. Made a coffee, yeah. 
Excellent. Excellent. Um, so welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast. I'm glad you're able to come on with me today. Um, I wanted to kind of start things out by uh, uh, talking a little bit about how you came over to America, kind of what your childhood was like. Uh, you were born in Germany? Yeah, I was born in East Germany. That's the former communist part of Germany. And when I was born, um, Germany was still united, uh, uh, divided. And I experienced the wall falling at age 10. Oh, wow. Okay, very cool. I, I, uh, I've been over to Germany one time, and I, I was actually sitting on a piece of the wall I didn't know was it, wondering, <laughs> wondering where it was. And, and uh, our manager pointed out that it was a piece of the Berlin Wall I was sitting on. Okay, when was that? What uh, that year? was back in 2007. Okay. And uh, we were over there on tour, and, and uh, we played a club in Berlin there right on. There's a little um, river that goes through the middle of town, it seemed like. And uh, it was, I forget the name of the club, but it was right on the water. Um, and I was making a phone call, and I was sitting down out by the road, and it was on that piece of the wall. Isn't Berlin one of the most amazing cities in the world? <laughs> Germany is one of the most amazing countries I've ever been to, and it's... Uh, um, the Dome Cathedral in Cologne uh, blew my mind. I've never seen anything of such craftsmanship uh, that is withstood being bombed. And uh, I mean, just the, the country itself is amazing, but Berlin was fantastic. You know, you visited the right places. Sometimes um, when Americans go to Germany, they all go to Munich, which is it's not a bad you know city to go to, but they often miss Berlin. And that's really a shame because it's like, really avant-garde and a cool city and you can still feel the character of it because it was divided so you have a total different flair and atmosphere in in different little neighborhoods uh, throughout absolutely and and the coming from america i was born uh, in america and, and lived in alaska grew up in alaska and going over there i hadn't seen anything that was as old as that um, everything over there is, you know, architecturally, artistically is all so much older than anything I was used to. That was really incredible to me as well as just how old the structures are still standing and the history is just unreal. I mean, it, it was really powerful. But... Yeah, Americans are, they, you know, it's like really hard to imagine that there are buildings out there that are over a thousand years old. It's, yeah. it's mind blowing. It really is. It really is. And and one thing I noticed as well was it seemed like a lot of the villages and stuff, you could see the steeple of the church um, over the top of everything else. And I was told that there was uh, some kind of clause or rule that you couldn't build taller than the tallest steeple in the town. Um, mm-hmm. is, was that is that correct? Um, I think it depends where you are. Okay. Um, Germany has states also. It's a federal republic. So... I think it depends on the local laws, too. It's probably kind of like in the U.S. where you have different states and different um, local laws. So, Okay. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about growing up in Germany. Um, it was, I mean, I I had a happy childhood. I have, I'm the oldest of three. Uh-huh. And um, even though I remember, you know, some... Um, anecdote about growing up in a communist country it wasn't that bad like in practical terms I mean I remember going to the grocery store and there wasn't really a lot but as a kid you don't really question it when your mom makes potatoes every day Uh because then 
ate mashed potatoes and we ate fried potatoes and this i mean to me it was fun and my mom really made it fun um and it was never like i was hungry or i was cold or i always had a place to live but it was um it you know it wasn't that in much of an abundance like the first apartment we lived in there was no bathroom so there was a toilet where you had to go outside like uh, what half a stair up and the whole house was using like an outside sort of toilet like uh-huh. it was in the house but it was not in the actual uh, apartment okay and my, i remember my mom bathing me and my brother in uh, the um the sink and stuff but as a kid i mean it doesn't matter you know it wasn't that luxurious but it was great and i spent a lot of time outside with my brother my brother was my my best friend at the time he was he's only one year and three months younger mm-hmm. my sister came later so at the time when i was little it was just me and my brother and um yeah so i my mom took us uh to the library museums like it it was cool i mean i cannot say that it was bad but of course i remember some ideological you know influences when you know i started school and you know we had to do like presentations and stuff like that but I was 10 when the wall came down, so I think the way it affected me was probably minor. Uh huh. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so a happy childhood, and and uh, when did you when did you come over to did you come to California or did you come over to America in another state? No, I came to California. That um, and it was because I started um I started nude modeling in Germany already when I was in college. Mm-hmm. I was 19. But I wasn't doing any movies. I was just doing like, you know, photo shoots. I did like some go-go dancing. I did um, like um, like some. What, I did like other event stuff where you had to like uh, pass out flyers. But it, I had to wear a bikini in clubs and stuff like that, so they wouldn't they wouldn't hire like regular model hostess kind of girls. Um, so I did that. I did like. Uh, uh, live sushi type of stuff or like body painting art at parties like this kind of stuff like event stuff that evolved some nudity or you know walking around in, in really short bikinis and stuff uh-huh. which, um, and then it's sort of progressed from there I started doing more professional sort of modeling where um, it was like page three type of uh, you know playboy style nude magazine things that mm-hmm. you know at the time, there was not so much internet where you could just download pictures, so that was pretty big, and that got published. But it was pretty softcore and pretty tame, you know. Yeah. Um, mostly like boobs out and stuff, and then um, I think I did. I started doing like some softcore type of, uh, you know, fake sex things, picture-wise, where it was like for um, adult magazines, but it wasn't really a, it wasn't really like a, a sex scene. It was just kind of staged. Um, and yeah, and so that from there, I, you know, people became more aware of me and I started having a little website where people or photographers could book me and I started kind of semi, semi amateur type of business and travel all around Europe. And I think that's how people from the porn industry became aware of me and reached out. Okay. And did they, were you, so they reached out to you while you were still in Germany? Um, yes, that I mean, I did, you know, over time, it was a long process from pretty much 19 to 23, which is like four years, mm-hmm. I started doing really like, very tame, like, uh, nude modeling to like, 
some solo masturbation videos, which was good because it, it you know, I could get used to it slowly. Um, so by the time I yeah, got approached by porn producers, I had already done like solo videos and some girl girl stuff um, and some fetish stuff like bondage type of solo bondage kind of thing. Um, and it wasn't that a shell shock, you know, when I did my first scene and that was in Germany. Okay. And what, what got you into that whole thing? What, what was it that, that drew you to the modeling to start as far as, was it paying for college or was it, um, you know, what, what got you into the initial, um, starting to model? Um, I would say like the main driving force behind it was the financial aspect because I was a waitress in Germany, like for seven years and it was really not working out well for me being in, in school and working at night and not getting enough sleeps. So like it really got to me. Like I, I need my sleep still today. I, I need to sleep at least six hours. Mm-hmm. And for me being in bars and it, I'm not that much of a night person. So being there working till 3 a.m., 4 a.m., having to get, get up back at seven and going to school, that was really, really hard for me. Plus I, at the time in Germany, you could still smoke everywhere. And that really caused me like to have health problems and my I always had a cough. And so I started thinking, what can I do that's time flexible where I don't have to work that much and that pays good money. And and I just studied um, ad advertisements for jobs and I came across, you know, an amateur photographer looking for models and that's pretty much sort of how it happened. Okay. And then so when they reached out to you, um, over in Germany to uh, start doing some more um, actual videos. Um, did they did they offer to bring you over to California, or did you pay your own way to do that? Oh no, no, nobody paid for me to go anywhere. Okay. I mean, really, how it worked. I mean, in Europe, it's a different atmosphere. So if you would, if you because people are more used to the fact that models are all over Europe. So a production company, whether it's a photographer or uh, like a video production company, they usually pay for your travel expenses or some some of them do. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the United States, it's different. It's more porn performer. It's more like a freelancer type of uh, situation where you have to pay your own way and then you get hired. And um, that's pretty much how it was. I, um, I, I did one or so scene in Germany just to see if it was okay and then I saved money for a plane ticket and I, I, I came out here. I but I didn't really know. I didn't I have I had no expectations. I just kinda thought, Oh, okay, well, you know, I'm just gonna go. Maybe I get like one or two jobs and my trip is gonna pay for itself. But really I wanted to see America and I wanted to have a vacation, but when I got here I was pretty much working every day. I didn't see anything. <laughs> wow, okay. And do you remember your was your first scene just something very basic? Um, just to kind of get your feet wet. The one I did in Germany. Yeah. Um, that was a foot fetish scene, so that it wasn't. There was some sex in it, but it wasn't. It wasn't like super hardcore. It was more a lot of foot stuff, and uh, the male performer made me really comfortable. His wife was there too, and so she she was a performer also, and she kind of explained some things to me, and you know it. I it. It felt very safe, and the fact that the wife was there also made me feel more comfortable because I it wasn't too awkward, mm-hmm. so I wasn't scared, and yeah, so that, it, I mean, it worked out pr- pretty well for me. Okay. 
And so you, you moved over to California. Well, you came over, uh, you know, paid your own way, came over to California. And uh, you said you started working almost every day. Yeah. I mean, I was working every day pretty okay. much. Um, so, yeah, I sometimes like multiple scenes and I was really busy. Okay. And so you were, how did the progression go? I mean, you've done some pretty uh, intense scenes. Um what was the progression to that? Was that something that was that kind of extreme stuff, things you did in your own personal life? Or was that something that um, they they pushed you to do as far as, uh, you know, hey, we really need you to do this? Or or was it on your own terms? Um, well, I mean, the thing that worked uh, in my favor was probably that, uh, you know, I grew up in Germany and my family was very liberal with sexual stuff. Mm-hmm. So they never had that attitude that sex is something bad. I was allowed to have a boyfriend when I was 15, but he had to come and introduce himself to my parents. I mean, it, my parents weren't really negligent, but they were very open about it. My mm-hmm. you know, mom talked with me about birth control. She even took me to the gynecologist when I was 16. And, you know, like, this is just the atmosphere I grew up in. In Germany, people go swimming naked. So there wasn't, like, nudity wasn't really that, uh, big of a deal and sexuality wasn't so I I you know I was raised open with that kind of stuff so when I but I wasn't um, at the time I was a normal girl I had a few boyfriends you know maybe I was sexually more mm, willing to try new stuff but I had but but just with that person I wasn't like doing any orgies or going to swingers clubs or anything like that sure. so when I, so when I came here and there was were scenes uh, multiple guys and this and that. That was all I had. I hadn't done that before, and I have not done that in my personal life. But um, at the other side, I was comfortable with with what was going on. But I didn't feel like it was, you know, too crazy. Okay. If that makes sense. So like moving up from from just one one guy or girl to you know double penetrations or um, you know gang scenes. That that kind of progressed naturally to where you could ease into that and and become comfortable. No, that wasn't like that. I got he- but I looked at it as a job. I mm-hmm. never, I never really compared my personal life with what I was doing on camera. Like it wasn't to me. This did was not connected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I just came here, and um, the agent asked me, "What do you want to do?" And so I just said, "Okay, I'll just do whatever." Like I just didn't really think about it. Maybe I was naive. Yeah, I just I just did whatever they threw my way from the beginning. Was it? But there was no progression. Okay. And um, did you did you? Um, I've I've talked about this before, but um, did you see a lot of uh, you know drug use and and things like that in the industry? Or the industry always had like a really negative light painted on it back. Uh, you know, before the internet got really big, it was kind of the cd kind of uh it, now with the internet it seems like there's a better light cast on that industry that people are treated better um you know it, it wasn't like the cliche um you know started modeling got into porn got hooked on drugs and you know i don't i don't see as much of that now that it's more widely available um you know more of a competition to uh put out the best content because it's so widely available does that um is that something you saw or went through in your time seeing um, substance abuse and, and uh, you know, producers putting through people through things they didn't want to do 
things like that? You know, I I don't know, honestly, because I I can only speak about my own experience and my own perception because the only time that I was there is when I was shooting my own scenes. But I it's not really known to me what the what the range of experiences are in the porn industry. Like I really I, I, I don't I don't think I'm an expert to talk about this in general, but me personally, I I have never taken any drugs. I don't even smoke cigarettes. Um, I so I I never so I don't really. I'm I'm kind of a a blank page when it comes to that. Okay. I'm you know I during my education as a social worker, I also worked in substance abuse as a um, as a mentor, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a challenge for me to acquire the skills to help people because I don't have a personal background in in um, being a recovering addict. So that was always kind of a disconnect with the clients. And so of course, you know, when you further your education and continue, then you, you can help people that share that don't necessarily share your experience that have, that, that went through things that you haven't. Mm-hmm. And at the time, um, it was really difficult for me. So it's the same when you asked me this question, I, me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm very much, I have no experience with drugs like zero. So it's very difficult for me to speak about this because I also don't have any objective uh, information available to me. Like I don't really talk about drug use with other performers because that's really not uh, something you bring up when you sit there and get your makeup done. But okay. have I witnessed stuff? Yes. But then, you know, every it, it's like that was my daily life. I was shooting every single day and that was my job, of course, you know, you you see things, but 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 the vast majority of um, of the work or the days that I spent on set were just really normal. Okay. And uh, um, I want to ask as well. Um, Katja Kassin is is not is a stage name, correct? Yes. Um, and so, how how did you come up with that stage name? Is that something you had to kind of come up with on the fly, like, hey, you need a name, or is it something that you put a lot of thought into? Um, no, I really didn't because when I first started nude modeling, I, I just did, I just took the pictures and I got paid and I left. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even think about, and you know, any of that, but the photographer I was working at the time told me that I should have like some kind of a fake name. And first they chose something different for me, but then, um, over time, like I, that was just something that they picked for me. I, I didn't even catch yeah. but then when it became more professional, I just chose the last name and it, it wasn't really that deep. Like there's no real philosophy behind it. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, so right now, what you're doing right now, you're, you're, you're finishing your master. Have you finished your master's? Or you're finishing it now. Um, I'm finishing it right now. I have one more semester, which starts in a week. So in May, 2017, um, I'm going to be finished with the masters. Okay. So I want to talk about this too, because I want to talk about your transition out of, uh, of porn, because do you remember the time, the moment when you said, I'm not going to do this anymore, or I want to do something different, or was it more of a gradual, uh, exit? It was, it's more of a gradual thing. Um, and there wasn't anything real in my life that caused me to do this. It was more like when I turned 30, I just, and it's probably the same what happens to people when they turn 30. It's like I heard that 
a lot of times from other people where you're like, okay, so what, what, what am I going to do with my life? Where do I go from here? And I was making good money at the time. I was just like, well, I'm, I can't be doing this forever, possibly, even though it's going good now, I'm going to get older and, and, you know, and who knows, maybe I'll be still doing this when I'm 60, but chances are that, you know, maybe not. So I really, I got, I, I really got this whole, I got to do something else feeling I, I like anxiety. And at the time I was already a homeowner. I had already saved money. So financially I did everything that a person at that age could possibly do. And now I was like, well, I need to invest more in myself. And what if I, it, it wasn't even just like I'm doing porn and one day nobody wants to see me anymore. It was more like, what if I ever have a car accident and I'm in a wheelchair and now I can't be shooting porn? Or what happens if something happens to me where I'm... Because in order to do porn, you have to have a certain look and not necessarily that you are not pretty anymore when you're 50 or 60, but what if something happens to your body where you're not able-bodied anymore? Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't... There are not many... Um, disabled people in porn for example like yeah. not in stream so that was more like my concern um and so because our health and our our physical integrity is is sort of we don't know you can be living a healthy lifestyle and something can still happen to you mm-hmm. um that was more motivated by that thought that i had to get an education so i can um you know create a possibility for me to have a career after after porn is over okay and that's a, I mean, that's a great, that's a great thought because uh, I, I never thought of it that way as far as the physical aspect. Um, you know, it seems like you think ahead uh, pretty far, which is good because it's going to set you up for, for success as far as being able to, to, to think about something like what, like you said, if I get in an accident or something happens to my body and then people don't want to see it anymore, um, you know. Well, what if you're just not, you don't have the stamina? What if you have, um, you, you'll get a chronic illness and you just you know you have to take medication that make you gain weight or you're you don't have the ability to do it you know that mm-hmm. was more my thought okay and were you keeping up a pretty uh a pretty strict um health and fitness regimen while you were in the industry or was it mainly the scenes that were keeping you in shape and and uh i mean was there pressure for you to hey you need to go to the gym or you know, people, did they say things like that? Like, hey, you need to, you know, lose a couple pounds or uh, you need to do this? Or was it mainly just, you know, do what you want to do? What's going on, guys? This is Dewey. I want to tell you about some new releases coming up from Equal Vision Records. As you guys know, Equal Vision Records is my family, and so are these bands. I really want you to check these out. We've got Hot Water Music with their 10th studio album, Vows, out May 10th, featuring guest appearances by Dallas Green of City and Color, Thrice, The Interrupters, and Brendan and Daniel from Turnstile. See them on the 30th anniversary tour with Quicksand in the States in May and June and Europe in November. Hotwatermusic.com for more info. We also have Be Well with their new 7-inch, A Tap I Can't Turn Off, out now. First new music in two years from this band. This band is incredible, featuring members of Battery, Bane, Darkest Hour, and Fairweather. See them on tour with I Am The Avalanche in June. Equalvision.com for more info on that. And just your general information on Equalvision Records, you're always going to find something you like at Equalvision.com. Go there for vinyl and merch from all of your favorite bands. Check out Hot Water Music's new record and Be Well's new 7-inch now.
What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. 
So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Um, I heard that all the time because when I started in 2003, there was a total different, um, you know, expectation, what, what people in porn should look like. Mm -hmm. Um, it was more like the teenage and you were either the teenage girl that looked 12 and was really slim or you were the, you know, the bombshell blonde with fake tits and stuff. And I was none of, I was, I was totally different. And I just, maybe it was my naivety. I I never, I hadn't watched a lot of porn. So I just came along and I was like, here I am. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a problem with my body. And then when people said, Oh, but you are too short and you are too this and that. I, I just, I mean, it kind of was, it's not nice to hear that, but it didn't hit that deep because I really didn't internalize it that much. Uh-huh. And me going to the gym and do it, being active was more like a, a health thing and a fun thing. Mm-hmm. And when you do porn, like you don't really have a routine, you don't work every day. So there's also something you need to do every day just to get out of the house because yeah. it's not you know, so I would go to the gym just as an activity because going to the gym is pretty um, cost efficient. It doesn't cost that much money to go, you know, have a gym membership and or go outside for a hike or something like this. And plus, I was in California. So to me, this was amazing that all year round there was this great, amazing weather. So, of course, I, you know, I did stuff like that. Mm-hmm. As far as like super pressure into, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I still watch, you know, my diet now. I'm not like you know, totally, uh, off on that, you know, but I'm not also not extreme on the other side where I'm saying like, Oh, I, eat, oh, I own, I don't eat after this time or, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you, when you do things like that, like you would go to the gym or go to the store, would you find yourself getting recognized or, or does that not happen very often? Um, it does happen sometimes, but I really don't like it. So whenever people recognize me, I, usually ignore it or i just say oh you must be mixing me up with someone because it's you know it's it makes me feel weird Mm -hmm. and also when i have company when i'm with with people friends or roommates or family members they might not really know about porn yeah or maybe they do but they are not comfortable picturing me that way or they they don't want to hear about it because know me as who i am and they don't necessarily want to get exposed to that so I usually just really don't want to talk to people about that in public because when I'm with, when I'm with someone, it makes me really uncomfortable. And it has happened to me before that I was on a date and people were just were saying stuff and then that all went sour. So it's, you know, I really like my privacy and I don't really want people to come up to me. Yeah, I could imagine. And, and, uh, I mean, on a date like that, that, that sucks. Yeah. And you know, now I have another life too. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in a master's program. I have a, a regular job that is related to that. And sometimes when I'm in the grocery store, I could be anywhere. It might be with people that study with me mm-hmm. or people from that work. 
and you know and even though I don't lie about stuff but I don't might not always say it so it's really like people can affect my life if they do that and then it just creates awkwardness so I really don't like it so I prefer people not not say anything to me yeah okay I definitely understand that and and uh so moving on to your to your your change into your new career um, and also, I wanted to talk about um, being a feminist in the in the porn industry, or you know, uh, being out of the porn industry. Um, do you feel things have changed quite a bit uh, for women in porn? It seems like things are getting more and more extreme, more brutal, more um, uh, domineering. I guess where women are portrayed more uh, as you know more as a piece of meat than in years past. It seems like. Things are going that direction where, you know, hitting and, and, uh, you know, stepping on people. And, um, does that, did that have something to do with you going into social work, working with equality and, uh, feminist issues? Um, I don't know if it got more extreme. I mean, I remember doing pretty super extreme stuff 10, you know, over 10 years ago. And so I cannot really answer the question if it, if there's like a, progression that it got more extreme because in the la in the end of my career the last few scenes i've done was a lot of girl girl a lot of milf scenes and a lot of femdom so okay. where it's exactly the other way around so there is a lot of porn where the female is the the powerful element where you know especially the femdom scenes that is really huge so also milf where the, the female the older female comes onto the guy and and says what she wants um, so that, and the other thing is what you have to keep in mind is that just, you know, everyone is allowed to make their own decisions. And that's for me as a feminist, that's, that's like the core, you know, the core of the, of that ideology that people make their own choices. Mm -hmm. So, um, there are a lot of women that have fantasies of being, um, submissive or 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 experiencing sex in a way where the male is the dominant part and it would be unfair of someone to say that's not okay you know like because being objectified can be a very sexy uh role play and of course if we watch the scene we don't know what's going on in the performers minds if they enjoy that type of scene or if they are just doing it because that's the job asked for it mm -hmm. Um, but in general, I wouldn't, me as a feminist, I wouldn't go up to someone that enjoys to be submissive, male or female, and say, you're not doing it right. You know, guys that are submissives, they have that problem too sometimes, that they are not considered real men if they enjoy anal play or if they want the female to, you know, be the dominant partner in, 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 a, in a sex scene. So, so they get judged for that too. And that's a two-way street because we're still sort of on that gender binary where the females are like this and the males have to be like this. And and I don't think that's right. So, you know, wh whatever people enjoy in sex, as long as it's consensual, I think there should be more of a variety of possibilities. If a female wants to be submissive, that should be okay. If the male wants to be uh, dominated, great too. So, you know, so I, I look at it not you know, it's degrading or what being degraded can be a very sexy situation. 
Absolutely. I, I absolutely, that's a really good, really, really strong, good point of view on the whole subject. And I'm glad you put that out there because I think a lot of people need to listen to that and, and hear that coming from the inside that, you know, what you're doing is, is fantasy based. Um, you know, it's consensual as long as you're that whole adage, as long as you're not hurting someone, you know, be who you are, you know, um, I think a lot of people need to see that. As a performer, your job is to create the fantasy. It doesn't always have to be your specific fantasy. Just because you don't have that fantasy yourself doesn't mean you cannot be the vessel to project that. You know, it can be a lot of fun. For me, that was sometimes the fun to put myself into people's minds and 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 think about how would that be really hot for people to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, it might not be something that, you know, I am totally into, but... I was into creating that for for the per- so you know when we see scenes it might not be like necessarily the thing that the, the performer goes home to but they might really like that they did a great scene and then they enjoy the feedback they get from the fans. Mm-hmm. And you get a lot of feedback from your fans. Do you get um, you know I reached out to you through email, um, but do you get a ton of emails and and. Uh and and letters from fans and things like that or is that something that uh you know was more in the past um no i do and probably the most feedback i get is through the web live cam shows Mm -hmm. because then you interact with fans directly so they tell you what they want is what they like and what they want you to do so i i get a lot of feedback through that so you are still doing you're still doing like the the solo cam shows still uh-huh. Um, just not performing um, with with other people and, and in the industry. Yeah, you know, but I just um, sometimes people want you to like, you know, people always have that. They need to know clear answers. So, so for now, I porn doesn't really work with my schedule and with my life because I'm really busy with school. Mm-hmm. So that's the main aspect. Also, the cost of testing is very high for me. Um, it, it cost me $200 to get tested. And since I'm not shooting a lot because my schedule is so limited, I would almost spend $200 just to shoot one scene. And that then financially, it's not really worth it for me. Yeah. So, but, it, but who knows, right? So because sometimes, you know, you say, oh, I'm not shooting. And then who knows, 10 years from now, maybe I'll do again. And then people were like, oh, you're such a hypocrite. But life is like this fluid process. So who who cares, right? So I... Usually, I'm like this type of person that makes their life work for them. Mm-hmm. And so right now, yeah, I, I do webcam shows and, you know, uh, other like phone stuff where people ask me questions and tell me things. And so I get more input of what people are into than performing, you know, naturally, because when I'm performing, all I have is the director and the co-star, but I don't really have any direct interaction with the fans. Okay. And that's, I mean, that's a good, that's a good springboard there into, I mean, social work. I mean, you're working with people, you're, 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 uh, interacting, communicating. Um, you know, I, I wanted to be really careful how I approached this, this interview and even asking to do this interview because I didn't want things to come across that, oh, he just wants to talk about, you know, the, or, you know, it, it's, it's a touchy subject because I'm really interested in where you are now your transition into who you are now, I, I think that's really fantastic and, and an interesting story. And that's the big reason I wanted to to speak with you, um, you know, is is what you're doing now 
um, going forward because you're doing some really cool things for equality and feminism. Um, and I want to talk about um, your your focus in social work, what your focus is going to be and what you've done so far uh, working through that program because you're doing some really cool things. I've been following the Instagram and stuff like that um, and seeing all these great events and things like that. And, and kind of if you could talk about that a little bit, that's what I'm really uh, I want people to hear and, and uh, am interested in. Well, what's important for me is that I want to uh, show people that I'm this holistic person. So it's, uh, you know, I wasn't born a long time. So that's part of my life. It's not like one day you decide I'm done with this. Um, I'm retired and now I'm something different. This is not how a person works. Mm -hmm. So being a porn star, even if I'm not shooting right now, this is always going to be part of my life story. And now it's. Maybe in 20 years from now, it's going to be a little bit more detached. But now I'm still this person. So what it would be nice for me to in my work to live that so that I can bring my experience that I had from that long career in porn. I can bring that into what I'm doing, um, you know, in the future. And um, my research for my master thesis is also um, going to touch on porn it's um or like partly because the the subject is student sex workers so i want to interview students that are also in sex work okay because um, i feel like it's an under um researched population usually i'll research that um about sex workers is like street walkers usually has to do with stds or drug use or um you know uh, poverty and i want to you know look at a different uh, group of people that might be in, you know, the porn slash sex industry for a variety of motivations and, and have a different experience than being on the street. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me being uh, someone that is, was a sex worker for a long time, I think I can bring that in. I can say the reason why, and that's also how I approach that when I, when I suggested the topic to my university, I said, I, I've been in this for, for 15 years, and that's why I think I, I can build a trusting relationship with the participants, and I, I'm, you know, qualified to ask the questions. Absolutely, and that's that goes back to what you're talking about, working with people with uh, addictions and things like that, where you felt you didn't have that connection. In this, you actually have that connection and can be very, uh, yeah. not persuasive, but very... Um, uh, add a lot of value to it um, and personal experience, which is really cool. And, and uh, you know, I, I really think it's an awesome path um, but you, to see. It doesn't mean that you cannot connect with someone if you didn't have the same experience. But sharing the same experience is one of the easiest way of relating to another person. Mm -hmm. That's why group therapies are so effective. At the time, that was, that was something new for me. And I, I wasn't really experienced how to relate to another person if I didn't have that same experience. So over time, of course, you can learn that you can, you can, uh, you can create that in other ways. But me being in that situation in substance abuse and not have not having that background really made me realize what else can you do to create a bridge and to, you know, build a trusting relationship with the person that thinks you're an outsider and you don't understand them. Absolutely. And do you plan on when you graduate, uh, do you plan on starting a practice in uh, California or do you plan on going back to Europe? 
Um, well, it's you. I couldn't start a private practice right away because with the master's degree in social work, you would have to um, become licensed, and that's another two-year process where you have to work under the supervision of another uh, clinician that already has a license, and you have to. Um, I think you have to accumulate 3,200 hours and then you have to do two state licenses. So you have to do two state exams. Okay. Um, it's kind of like when you are when you finish your law degree and then you want to be a lawyer. So the law degree does not necessarily not, does not alone qualify you to, to practice law. Um, and uh, well, I don't uh, maybe at some point, but I right now I, I feel like going to Europe. Uh, for a little bit and and just sort of you know collecting some experience overseas and where I can learn what's going on over there and then maybe at some point I'm not sure yet okay and has has anything really stood out to you um, as far as your your group therapies and things like that that I mean are there things that are shocking you or is it kind of following along with what you had thought the, the, um, I know you said you hadn't done much group therapy before. Um, but have you found anything that's really standing out to you as a, as a constant in there with the, um, student sex workers, as far as something that you hear every time or something that, um, kind of clues you into something you could work on, um, going into this field as far as tackling first. Um, what were it? Well, shocking. I I have to say, working with children that um, are in pretty um, bad situations, that mm-hmm. was very shocking for me. That was probably the hardest for me to make um, to call the child abuse hotline and report child abuse. Uh-huh. That that really went deep, and it doesn't even have to be like that severe. But when children tell you that nobody is there for them or that they feel lonely, that really was bad for me. I mean, I that for me to emotionally digest that and to go home and 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 just move on with my day, it was very difficult in the beginning. Um, working with older adults was all, also challenging. It just um, sometimes it's it's very hard to stay um, composed when people are you know lonely and and they don't have anybody to talk to, and you come to their house and you're the only person that they've spoken to in a week, and they don't want you to leave like just to feel how much responsibility you have on a human level that that was overwhelming for me um so shocking it's not like this one thing that a person can tell you that that would shock you it's more like the intensity of the emotional connection that people build with you that 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 can be the shocking part because it's your job and you have to also stay objective and you you can't you know, you have to, you are a professional. So that, that was the shocking part for me. Okay. Cause it's, I mean, and that's heavy stuff. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we see that stuff on TV and these law and order shows and things like that, but to actually experience, you know, a child telling you something like that, or, or the, just the fact that you're there and not, you know, threatening them or, or the fact that you're paying attention to them, uh, is the biggest thing in the world to them. That's pretty cool. So also with how little you can make such a big difference it's like not that i had so much experience but intuitively like sometimes uh, the kids were very stressed out and and very they couldn't really sit still and focus on one thing and very disruptive and aggressive and i just you know put classical 
and that it within like a minute they were all like little angels and really that that's that was like super shocking to me too like in a positive way like how little it actually takes to make a difference and how and then i'm like why why are we not doing this all the time so you know so that that shocking goes both ways exactly and that's i mean that's i i applaud you for that because that's something i couldn't i don't think i could deal with with having kids and and things like that to be able to take that kind of weight and and uh come out and go home and sleep at night as hard as it was in the beginning uh i really think you're doing something wonderful and that's that's the big thing i wanted to talk about because that's so important um yeah it's i mean um i don't really think that i'm the right person to work with kids i for me it's too hard i it's i love kids and this this time that i worked with children is i couldn't pick it that was chosen for me that was part of my master's degree um and i realized i do have the skills i'm really good uh, kids love me and they connected with me but i don't think you know i want to do this it's it's very very difficult to work with children i mm. i because as a social worker you don't get to work with the children that are happy and everything is peachy you work with the kids that you know that, w that are not healthy and something is going on with them and for me it was it was very difficult so I from that background I don't know if I would specifically would choose a job where I just work exclusively with children mm -hmm. um, and then you know I the other thing is like I don't know if that would be the right thing for, for me to do because I have this career in porn I don't want there to be any issues I personally feel like I would be good at it but, you know, it's it's not, um, you know, if everybody else doesn't feel that way, then it's probably not a good idea to expose myself to a situation where it just could potentially lead to issues. Exactly. And like we were talking about before the show with, with how porn can stigmatize, um, that's another reason I like, um, another reason I wanted to talk with you and, and you know, showcase um all the things you have to offer and, and the good you're doing and, and, uh, you know, how you can be proud of yourself and, uh, you know, love who you are. And I always got that, that, you know, just from following, following things throughout the years that, that you were comfortable with yourself and, and, uh, watching the, the stuff on like, uh, Twitter and Instagram coming through, you know, going into this new career, um, was really inspiring. And, and we have a couple minutes left. I want to, um, just ask if you have any advice or anything you want to say to a listener listening that may be going through something or having uh, gender identity issues, equality issues, um, you know, anything you want to put out there to the listeners that are listening that, that uh, you could in, impart on them. Um, just um, find your own way. A lot of the rules that we're subject to are not real rules. I mean, of course you should stick to legal rules and so on. But everything is, you know, subject to change. Don't like, especially social roles, stereotypes, gender expectations. Those are all things that you don't have to stick to. Like, you don't get arrested because you are a guy and you like to use uh, some facial cream, or or because you are, uh, you know, a guy that likes to, you know, likes dominant women, or because you are a girl that's called bossy. 
we don't we don't go to jail for that so don't don't care like you know if you if you want to do that stuff and if you don't hurt nobody in the process and you want to wear makeup wear no makeup shave your pubes don't shave them color your hair different like just do it that's that's you know look at me i people would always tell me you are always just going to be this porn person. You can never do anything else. And it's not really true. You can do whatever you want to do. You just have to be brave because people get really pissed off if you think outside the box and if you don't um, fit in with what they expect of you. That's great. And I and I've, I think they get so pissed off because they're not brave enough to do it themselves and they want to f- make someone else feel bad or, or feel uh, less for doing so and being it's themselves. Exactly. It's challenges their paradigm. It's mm-hmm. if if you as a porn star say, Well, I am actually intelligent, I have a master's degree, then they cannot say all porn stars are stupid because I'm not. You know, it's no nobody gets degrees like this for not being determined, motivated and smart. So there's you can't talk that away anymore and sometimes that really challenges people's expectation of you know the how they view sex workers or a porn performer. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right, and that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the show today. And and Katya, I really appreciate you coming on and being completely honest and forthright and and just true. Um, you're a really special person, and I appreciate you coming on. I know my listeners will appreciate hearing your message and uh, um, hearing about your your journey. So um, thank you very much for coming on, and uh, have a great day. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being interested and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Katya. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Katya Kassin, uh, ex-porn star, social worker, feminist, just an all-around amazing person. And uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you guys did as well. Katya was so honest and nice uh, to open up her life to us and... and, uh, you know, give us some perspective on things, really interesting points and, uh, really enjoyed chatting with her. So we are on purepleasurepodcast.com. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher and we are now on Google play. So you can find us literally everywhere. Uh, this show will be airing, uh, on iTunes and everywhere else after it airs on Adobe radio at 5 PM Eastern, which you're listening to it now. So, uh, next week we have another great guest and we will every Sunday here on Adobe. And, uh, we look forward to having you back. So definitely check us out on the web, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.